Hi, welcome to the Poultry Keepers Podcast. I'm John Gunterman, and together with Mandolin Royal and Rip Stalvey, we're your co-hosts for this show, and it's our mission to help you have a happy, healthy, and productive flock. We've been talking about nutrition a lot, uh, but I think one thing we, we need to touch on is where can folks get good nutritional advice? Now, you got to be careful when you hit the Internet sites because there's good advice and there's advice and there's really poor mm-hmm. advice. The one that and, and John mentioned, the one I suggested, uh, if you're on Facebook, go to Poultry Breeders Nutrition. That's a site that was created by Jeff Maddox. Jeff is a livestock nutritionist. He's been doing this for years and years and years, and he's gotten a lot of on-the-ground experience. Jeff has written a book that I'd suggest you get, and I know John. I've worn out my second copy po- now. Oh, you've worn out your second copy. Already. Yeah. You, maybe you need bigger butt pockets. I, I No, I, the size <laughs> is perfect because it fits in most jean back pocket. I mean, it, it's designed okay. to be a, a, a quick reference guide that you keep on you. I, I would like it to be made out of and, Tyvek waterproof material with the same size would be great. <laughs> you just need a laminated um, edition. Well, yeah, waterproof. There edition. you go. And now puppy proof edition because yeah. he's chewing on everything. But that book is called Niche Poultry, Nutrition and Management. It's written by Jeff Maddox. You got to get your copy of that. You can go to Fur Trail uh, online at www.furtrail.com. And you can order it. It will be the best investment in poultry nutrition you ever make in your life. He talks about nutrition. There's feed formulas in there. There's a good discussion about all the different mm-hmm. feed ingredients. There, and, and, you know, he gets into more than just poultry feeds. He's, he spent a, a years and years and years studying poultry, not only their tr- nutritional deeds, but the management that they seem to perform better under. And so he talks a lot about management. He talks about management and nutrition for heritage-style poultry breeds. Talks about it for commercial, too. But he's the only nutrition I have ever come across that will talk about and work with heritage breed breed, uh, poultry. Rather than the commercial types, because yes. it's night and day. Well, it's the needs are expense. And and if Jeff were here, he'd tell you folks this. If you have a question, you have a problem, email him. Contact him at uh, Jeff Maddox at furtrail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may shoot me for giving that out. No, he gives it out all email. the time. Actually, he, yes. so a couple of, was it Rachel and Baylor and himself? I think it's just livestock nutrition at furtrail.com. And then he's got a whole team of people just, yes. you tell them where you live, you know, give them your zip code or your USDA zone and what grains you have available or how you want to carry out your husbandry. And they'll, they'll give you a grain bill that's super easy to follow. Now I'm looking at, you know, we're coming into winter and I've got to start changing my fat level and changing my oat level a little bit to keep my birds a little warmer in the winter. And then we're going to look at a winter layer specific formula for February and March. And just very slight changes to overall levels and the birds respond and you could really target your nutrition and save money. Never overfeed. It costs you no, money. No. You don't need to spend. It costs you big time. And feed grit. 
<laughs> you know, grit will save you. 10%. It'll get you 10 to 15% higher feed conversion well, ratio. Well, without it, you've already put this nutrition into your bird. Without the grit in the gizzard and the gizzard action to grind it and help extract that, they're just pooping out at least 10%. Yeah. And if you could increase that, you just save that much money. And it's the least expensive thing you can give them. What's your question, Mandy? So I see. This is going to. I was going to say, this is going to be a good one. I can tell you've been saving up. (laughs) Well, I'm just listening to you guys go on and on. And I see a lot of questions online of people who raise dual purpose poultry and they want Mm -hmm. those gains and they want to get that table result. And some of them are swearing by feeding 26% protein, 28% protein, game bird feeds and all of this stuff. But I want to say I heard somewhere that the birds cannot even process. Metabolize that much. Yeah, they can't metabolize past, was it 24% or 22%? That's about it. 22, 24%. There's a couple of inhibitors that block that uptake. The rest of it's just coming out the backside. So those feeds are more expensive. And if you're wasting 4% coming out the backside, what's that difference? Is it because I know game, for, game bird feeds have a more complex nutrient right. content. The, the reason they're seeing more, but I should say, the reason they're seeing better results is because game bird feeds are higher in amino acids than right. regular chicken feed. They're, they're pumping up, they're buying more protein to bring up the amino acid levels. Uh, the only way to, to use raw protein to bring that up is to increase the levels rather than just add those amino acids, which is more expensive yes. to do. So it's not the protein, it's the added density of the amino right. acids. And, 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 and by yes. comparison, the manure is going to be stickier and oilier. Oh, it stinks so stink bad. I've tried yeah, it. And... I mean, they're getting what they need, but they're getting too much. Yeah. And the other end, they have to eat all this protein to get their basic building blocks. So, And that game bird feed, you put game bird feed on the side it's of a expensive. feed bag. The price goes mm-hmm. way up. Oh, it can be as much as ten bucks a bag yeah. or more. Well, I was raising quail on hey, hey. Game Bird Starter, and you know, I said, "Jeff, can we do any better?" He's like, "Oh yeah, easily." And now we've got him, you know, waving his flag and tooting his horn over on Caternix's corner and a couple of the quail sites because, <laughs> yeah, everybody's oh, everybody's overfeeding their birds in the quail world, and it gets really expensive because people usually tend to keep a couple hundred at a time. Well, I slacked off on turkeys this year because turkey feed for the starter was 30 bucks for every 50 pounds. Yeah. That was a $10 rise from the season before. And that was just regular 26% turkey starter. I know that folks are listening to us thinking big bucks, big bucks, big bucks for premium feed. It can be, but it doesn't always happen that way. But honestly, we can't feed our birds based on a cost-driven perspective. If you want high-quality birds, you got to have a high-quality feed. That's going to cost you a little bit more. Now, I'll give you an example. The feed I use is 3M Farms out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And it's shipped down here to Florida. I don't worry about it being old or stale or anything. The first bag I got was manufactured. It has a manufacturer date on the tag. was manufactured three days before I bought it. Nice. 
honestly, it smelled good enough to eat, like John was saying. Yeah, just add you a know, little milk and now it's cereal. A little milk, a little sugar, I'm good to go. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, if they're I'm using one it. of Jeff's formulations, it's going to taste a little fishy. So you got to watch out for that. I, I priced it. I did a price comparison because I was very shocked when he told me how much he wanted for a bag of it. I bought that feed. It's a premium, high-quality feed, fresh, for $2 a bag less than Purina Chick Starter. Nice. And there's no amprolium in there, nope. which is going to mess up the diet and mess up the bird. No fillers, no fluff. It's just all good stuff. And then they're going to turn um, around and eat less of it. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I feed, I figure I'm feeding 15 to 20% less feed on this premium feed than I was with the other feed. You know, if, if folks, if, if you got chicken and you go out there with a bucket of feed, if they're rushing up to meet you every single time, you're probably feeding an inferior feed because they're, they're literally starved for nutrition. And they, when they come up to meet you, there may still be feed in the feeder. Mm -hmm. It's the stuff they don't want. It's because they don't get, they're not getting the nutrition they need. You know, Jeff likes to describe there's two, three types of feeds. There's feed that he refers to as a deprived feed, feed that he refers to as a survive feed, and at higher level, the thrive feed. Deprived doesn't do much for them at all. It's, it's not Keeps even barely alive to lay an egg. Really. That's your 16% layer. Yeah. And the survive feed. Does a little bit better, 18%. but it's, it's still lacking in nutrition. But the Thrive Feeds, those premium quality feeds that are formulated right, man, your birds do so much better on them. They grow better. They look better. They perform better. The eggs hatch better. The chicks are stronger. And it's just uh, a small difference. Well it's like it's not even yeah. calculable to pennies per pound. It's so much smaller than that. It's like pennies per bag. Well, when I found out the, the starter I bought was $2 a bag less than Purina starter, I near about fell over. Well, you also have to consider the handling that goes into it. All commercial feed starts out as a whole grain and all this stuff, the mash. And instead of being put into a pellet mill and pelletized and into a bag, it just comes straight to you. So you've already removed that step yeah. and you've destroyed it. I mean, that 30-day clock is because you just broke all those nice whole grains. Um you're getting them delivered fresh and crumbles are just broken down pellets. So everything that you're doing is oxidizing your feed and, you know, staling out faster. I'm going to say that it can be very difficult to find a good high quality feed. I, I you could ask around. Just though. couldn't find one. And Florida is a feed desert. Trust me. You know, luckily you found somebody who's importing a great quality feed. And uh, from what I understand, they're making this available to other poultry breeders in the area. You know, as long as you want to drive out there and get it, he'll get it on the next pallet for you. I don't even, he, I live in Lakeland. He's in Wachula, an hour and a half drive from me. Well, he comes up to Plant City to the state farmer's market. And he buys produce a couple of times a week. He's, well, I'll just bring it to yeah. you. So I don't even have to. I got, I got a 15-minute drive to go pick up feed. That, and you met a new poultry friend. Uh, yes. Uh, but, you know, search, look, talk to other folks, find out what they're feeding. 
Look for folks that are that are feeding these high quality feeds. Ask them where they got them. Ask, look in, look and in the yellow know, pages for the feed mill that's been there for fifty yeah. or a hundred years. That's those are the people well, you want to go local talk feed to. Mills, they'll they'll work with you, but don't uh, come on strong to them because these are yeah. mom and pop operations and they're kind of set in their ways. But just <laughs> My guy's definitely set in his ways. He's been doing this. <laughs> As a family business, gosh, since like the 1940s, maybe. Well, if you can bring in a feed bill like that, you know, Jeff makes or it's been looked over by somebody who knows what they're doing and say, hey, I, I'd like to see if I can get something like this to feed my chickens. I'm a breeder. You know, I need the, you know, everything to be fresh and highest co- possible quality. An experienced feed person will look at it and go, oh, okay, you actually know a little bit about what you're talking about because you're handing me something that mm-hmm. I understand and recognize just by looking at the formulation, what you're doing. You know, and sometimes you may be in an area like we are here in Florida, where it's very, very difficult to find a high quality feed. I could find one, but it was a three hour. It's going to cost you. I mean, finding the right place that you sync with and you mesh with is also very important too. Yeah. But you may be able, and this is what Caleb did. He actually brought feed down here uh, from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, he has it trucked in once a week because he raises a lot of pastured poultry for both meat and for eggs, not just chickens, but turkeys and ducks and geese and the whole whole nine yards down there. But, you know, maybe you can partner with somebody to get some feed trucked in. Now, there's going to be a minimum order, for usually 500 to 1,000 pounds in most instances. And, yeah, it's going to cost you a little bit to get it shipped in. But you're going to save money in the long run feeding a higher quality feed. So check into that. Just uh, make sure you get it an appropriate amount for what you're going to feed through in an appropriate amount of time. Yeah, don't don't overbuy. Yeah, don't That's fall into sure. that trap. But other than that, it's it's great. Everybody wins. And if if you're really up against the wall and you cannot find a good feed, then it's time to think about adding a feed supplement. And the one that I always recommend, and we've already talked about it, is the Fur Trail Showbird and Breeder Supplement because it, it'll it actually take your feed and make mm-hmm. it more complete. It will get it up to the nutritional levels, those those optimum uh, thrive levels, as Jeff, Jeff would call it, to where they do really, really good. And I know we talk about Fur Trail on here, and you think, oh, man, man, they're getting paid to do that. We don't make a dime off of mentioning Fur Trail. Yeah, I we still have it, to buy it at full price. I don't price. even get a coupon code. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think he has coupon but, codes. But, you know, it's not where you want to try and save money. And the between the breeder supplement and the neutral balancer, you're going to get right where you need to be. Even if you have to use a 16% off-the-shelf commercial bag, you know, reach out to Jeff or anybody in the Facebook group is like, this is what I've got. How much of this and this do I need to bring me to optimal levels? And it's usually like a teaspoon or a tablespoon per, you know, some fixed amount. And you're you're good. I don't want to encourage people to buy that feed if they can avoid it. But, you know, you can supplement it. Oh, I think look, the best way to save uh, money with your bird. Postmaster's calling. I got eggs cereal. coming in. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know, something we talked about earlier, we just, I shouldn't say we talked about it, we touched on earlier, and that is predators. If you're just getting started in poultry, it's not a matter of if, but when. Because sooner or later, you're going to find predators going after your birds. 
our biggest predators here that I have to deal with now are house cats, hawks, and the odd occasional coon. Statistically but, speaking, the number one predator is your own dog, and the number yes. two predator is your neighbor's dog. After that, then it's wildlife. And where we are, we have raccoon, bobcat, possum, skunk, hawks, coyote, fox. Thankfully, no bear. <laughs> you, you've got predators that will dig in to get to your birds. They'll actually tunnel under your pens. What I have found helpful is I put welded wire, two-foot strip of welded wire down around all my pens. So that kind of prevents that digging in situation. Yeah, skirting helps a lot. One yeah. thing I do want to mention, though, for all of our urban flock keepers, we had a far higher predator load when we were in the city than we are now in the country. Where we are now, there's hardly any action. But when we were urban, raccoons were every single night, possums every single night, mm -hmm. hawks all day, every day, because there's such a higher density of what they eat available in those urban settings. I would hazard a guess it's more dangerous to keep chickens in the city. Sure. Do you know why there's more in the city than there is? We've displaced the them in their habitat. The biggest single cause is folks leaving out dog and cat food overnight. And oh, yeah, they food. bring them in. And yeah. the moment that food is gone, they start looking for other opportunities. Yeah. And if you're supplementing your yep. feed with things that usually has a fish product and those raccoons and other scavengers really love fish protein it'll draw them in so i try not to feeders overnight try to empty them you know they're just going to call in predators and scavengers so you know we talked about the the dirty diggers that come after your birds there's also those dastardly mm -hmm. climbers that will go straight up the wire on your coop and over the top if you don't have it covered in or if you don't have a wire top on it um, How big of a gap does a raccoon need to gain access? Hot, if he can get his head in something, he can get the rest of it. Isn't it something like three inches? Yeah, about that, three, four inches, something like that. Yeah, it's not uh, much of an opening they need. Oh, and they'll kill but, for sport. They don't even take oh, what yeah. they need and leave. They'll kill well, everything. They, they'll kill everything and then come back and feed is their mentality. The ermine will do the same thing. One little ermine or weasel will take out three or four birds. And then they'll drag pieces back to their den for their young. Another predator that, that I have to deal with around here is birds of prey. Now, they're protected by federal law, so I can't take extreme measures. But what I'll do is, is I string a monofilament line about every five to six inches all the way across the top of my pen to stretch it real tight. They don't have to hit that but about once and before they just get the idea that that's not a good idea. Mm -hmm. I switched over to the nylon UV rated avian outdoor netting. Does that hold up pretty good, Mandy? It holds up so much better than because I at one season I tried a plastic netting and it was toast the first winter. As soon as yeah. we got an ice storm, it broke everything. But the nylon, I think it's got like a two inch gap on it. So it's not good for overnight predators, but for daytime aerial It'll also let leaves and sticks fall through. It has a good tinsel strength for holding larger branches that fall. Because I do have two giant maple trees over our runs for shade. That'll help too. Because if it breaks up their glide or attack path, 
Anything that you could do to yeah, scatter their too. attack path and not give them a clean shot at your birds is going to help. Yeah, they have to come in from the side. Like the runs that are directly underneath that maple tree, the bigger one, I don't even have netting over top of it. I only put netting over the pens that have direct open air access. I tried a uh, string and it worked, but it deteriorated. It wasn't UV. Yeah rated but i get two three years out of the actual avian netting I'm, i may switch over to using it then it's a lot easier to install i, I know i i put some up now this has been years ago and like you said it lasted about a year and i thought for as much as i had to pay for that stuff of course it back that back then it was a new rage and it was mm-hmm. expensive uh, i thought it just 12 months protection that's kind of pricey give me two Let's see. Uh, oh, Hubbard Breeder Management Guide. Where? What else we got? Daytime, nighttime, domestic, aerial. So daytime and nighttime predator. Mm-hmm. So we got aerial predators. We have eagles and uh, what's that big owl? The one that hit me in the head that night. Uh, great, great horned, horned owl. Yeah, it was up in a tree directly above my poultry yard and it swooped down one night and hit me in the back of the head, but it never messes with my chickens yet. But one thing that I, I specifically want them to have very good predator awareness. So I, I do naturally select for that in the winter when the fences come down, they're on their own. And if they get predated, then they're automatically out of the breeding pool. And you know, we need that up here. People rely on that because we're not, you know, city dwellers. City dwelling has its own, bag of tricks between the domestic animals and the humans and cats are a much higher density. Dogs are much higher density. I mean, everything's just packed in and it's putting so much pressure on the birds. When I was living in the city and I had some bantams, I was kind of in between living situations at the time. And I was crashing with my dad while my husband was doing his military service. So I just had a small little six bird flock of bantams to keep me busy while I was waiting on the next. Right. You can't station. not have birds. <laughs> right. Even my first apartment, I had a trio of Sarama. Where there's a wheel, there's a way. Exactly. But I was uh, in the backyard hanging out with the birds. And all of a sudden this hawk came swooping at the perfect angle. And he had hid himself behind the stockade fence. So he came down in another yard and then just came up and over the fence so fast. And I had just enough time to stomp my feet at the birds and scatter them. So he missed, but he came down like not even six feet from me. Me being there didn't stop that bird. Wildlife today are are much more tolerant of humans. Yeah, you're not a threat. You're not a predator. 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. They've learned not to fear man. Yeah. We do have an interesting phenomenon up here. We've got this coyote dog wolf hybrid. That's made its way across the upper side of the Great Lakes and down into Vermont. And we've got the first confirmed DNA tested case like in our town, which is pretty cool or not. And they have no fear whatsoever. And they're they're a scary looking mix. I don't want to tangle with them. Uh, I definitely keep that fence hot at night. They look like they could be a fairly aggressive critter to deal with. And they're, they're replacing a lot as the apex predator in the area, which is going to cause a whole tropic cascade among species. And, you know, the environmentalist portion of my education makes me a little worried, but we'll see what happens. 
our local coyote are only just now learning how to live in a pack environment instead of the solo loner avenue. They're realizing they can take down deer if they group together. Yep. So they are. Yeah. If there's a niche, a species is going to fill it. Let's talk about, and, and we're getting to the tail end of our yeah. recording here, but let's talk about management resources that people yes, can go to. So, so many, I, I see so many podcasts and I get upset because they don't, they tell me what to do, but they don't tell me resources I learn more about, but I want to be sure that we do that. One of the ones that Jeff Maddox recommended to me was the Hubbard Breeder Management Guide. It's, it's put out by Hubbard Poultry Breeders and it's a free download. You, you just go on to, you could do a search for Herbert, Hubbard, H-U-B-B-A-R-D, Breeder management guide and you, you can find out it just you download that free pdf and you're good to go but it has lots of management to their talk about water they talk about nutrition they talk about space they talk about airflow but just said that's the closest thing he's found uh, that's commercially available that is applicable to heritage and if you want to dive super deep they've mapped it out on lighting and feed and such schedules from hatch basically they've got a 15 minute clock for optimum performance you put your birds on this light cycle for the first three days and then this light cycle and they've mapped out all the way to finishing it's incredible on how to save money and produce the best quality birds another resource that we've already talked about it is just book niche poultry management and our nutrition and management you can get that at furtrail.com. You, you're going to, you're really going to be glad you bought now it. Now you first professor. read through, it's going to save you twice what you paid for it. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some colleges or universities that are now working with small backyard flock owners. And John, you're probably more f- familiar with some of these, but I, I know the one that I have found very helpful and pretty darn good information is University of Kentucky. Dr. Jackie Jacobs' series on Dr. YouTube. Does, she does a yes, great podcast. Absolutely. And it, you know, it's a little higher level than we're aiming for, but it's a great companion. I highly recommend it. I did just come out of a college environment working with a heritage flock of Buckeyes mostly. And that, that was very interesting working with, you know, three or 400 birds versus just a couple. Uh, it changes your perspective, it's but there's an amazing resource. They, you know, most colleges that have poultry programs, you got to search for them. But if they have one, as long as you follow basic biosecurity, dip your feet in the little solution on the way in and, you know, put on the Tyvek suit, you know, you can come on and look around and, you know, they love sharing the information, but don't, don't be shocked or off put by the biohazard protocols that you're going to need to go through to get on. Be grateful that they're there and learn from them and and employ them on your own flock. I think there's more of a biohazard concern to birds, especially with high pathogen avian influenza flying over. I live right on a a pond that's got 200 Canada geese and a bunch of bufflehead and grebe and loon that are getting ready to take off for the year. Uh, So I have a very high risk environment and I need to keep that from getting in my birds. Absolutely. There's another, and I didn't have it on my list, but another one I wanted to mention. The Livestock Conservancy has their Heritage Poultry Manual, and it will talk you through step step. some management techniques. 
It will talk you through selection processes. It was written by Don Strider. I've, I've known Don for many, many years. And that's what the college uh, used. They were part of the restoration project, and they followed that manual exactly yeah. for the first several years and then diverged. Man, he's got he's got a program in there that works. If you Follow it, it, you're right. good. Another important thing about the colleges and universities, they usually have an animal sciences program. And they uh, vet techs, lab techs, they always need stool samples to test. So see if somebody around has it. Send your samples in. You know, have them test for the various things. But don't just get a positive negative. Get an actual count on the fecal floats and establish a healthy level or get a microscope and learn how to do it yourself. It's not hard. It's not disgusting. And it's actually pretty cool. But the colleges and universities usually yeah, have. Pretty, I've got a microscope. Yeah, it's not hard to make a, a wet mount. And count. Oh, as soon and, as you know your colors and shapes of what you're looking mm-hmm. for. You know, folks, don't be alarmed if you see a they few better be some. or the occasional worm or so. That's normal. You want to see that. Like Jeff Maddox says, I think if I was to do a fecal float test and I didn't find something, I would be alarmed because I was thinking I got a bunch of chickens about ready to die. Well, that's why I said uh, don't ask for a positive but, or negative. Get a count. Establish right, your healthy right. level, and if it starts to raise or fall from there, you know it, it's it's a it's almost always a husbandry practice that needs to be cleaned up. Oh, we haven't even touched on the subject of internal parasites really much at oh, all. Oh no, that's that's maybe, maybe another episode or three or four because it's all about husbandry. Yeah, that that would be a good thing to bring Jeff Maddox on to talk about. Yeah, well, he's got a busy schedule, but I bet you we can borrow him. A little bit is totally normal, even encouraged as part of maintaining their immune function. The overloaded instances, when it deteriorates the bird, it's nine times out of 10, a secondary problem to a bigger problem elsewhere. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and the other thing about well, the universities that we didn't really touch on is some of them are going to have a lab who can help you out if you need further diagnostics. Like if you're losing birds and you can't figure out why, Sending them samples can get you some answers that is a little more economical than sending them to like a professional lab because the students need to learn how to do that stuff too for whatever profession they're going to go into. But check out their lab programs and see how they can help you Or you can invite them over for field trips. Uh, You know, I'm working out a a field trip because they can't do it at the local college campus for various reasons, but I need it to learn how to do it. So I'm inviting some uh, 200 level animal science students out to practice caponizing as humanely as possible. You're going to teach them on cadavers first or go live? They're going to teach themselves. I'm just the facilitator. Another things that for resources, people might uh, check into a lot of times your state department of agriculture will do some testing for you. In Ohio, have, uh, we have the Ohio Poultry yeah. Association. Well, everybody should look at getting NPIP certified, whether they plan on shipping or not. Most states will send an inspector out and blood test your chickens for all the important diseases and give you a two thumbs up and a high five and you're done. And a lot of states don't even charge for it. There's no cost for that here in Florida, not even for the AI. In Ohio, it's 75 bucks. Regardless of flock size. Awesome. Correct. Flat fee. Yeah. So whether I have 50 birds or 200 birds, they do a percentage of the flock for the same price. And all it is is checking some boxes that you're performing good husbandry practices and your birds aren't infected. I love our tester. He's a bird nerd through and through. 
And he is absolutely ecstatic that his day job has him at a different flock every day of the week, all year long. He services all of Southern Ohio, Mm -hmm. but he gets out of his car here and he's excited. He's happy. He's ready to go. And then we start diving into bird evaluations. One season, he told me my birds were too fat. He was having a hard time hitting the vein in the wing when they do the, the blood test. And he was like, you need to put these birds on a diet. And I'm like, really? Why? (laughs) And he showed me, he showed me exactly what obesity looks like without having to open that bird up. And I was like, yeah, I see it. You're right. (laughs) But coming from that, a totally different perspective, but the same diagnosis, I think you're going to, you're going to get the answer no matter how you look, as long as you look. Thank you for joining us this week. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they're released and they're released every Tuesday. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd like to ask you to drop us an email at poultrykeeperspodcast at gmail.com and share your thoughts about the show. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of the Poultry Keepers Podcast. We'll see you next week.